0: Welcome to the weekly deep dive podcast on the add on education network, the podcast where we take a look at the weekly come follow me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host here in the studio with my friend and the show's producer Nate Piper. But you're you're the host, I know. The host Jason Lloyd. Yes. <laughs> There's got to be something that you kind of Welcome, Jason. Leave on the floor somewhere?
1: No, that's good, dude. We've only we've only done this now <laughs> 300 and 400 and something times, but it's okay, whatever. Not
0: not quite that many, but All right, you, whatever. You know, We're you know, getting there. I every mean, now dude, and again you got to forget your name? I mean,
1: well, Jason, welcome. I am I am the show's producer, Nate Piper. Thank you, Jason, for the warm introduction.
0: Thank you, Nate, for being here in the studio with me.
1: Late night sesh, baby. I love it.
0: Late night. Is there any other way to do it?
1: Oh, I don't know. I kind of we we've, we've done it during the daytime before, and it's always nice to uh, have the whole day to get stuff done after. But I got to tell you, man, it's kind of our vibe doing this when it's dark outside, the moonlight coming in through the windows. Yeah. What do you think, Jason? Do you like it better when we are knocking these out during the day? You know, I don't know. It's uh all the same to you. I just like doing them as a as a record producer, I'm telling you, like the vibe of the of the of the room is everything.
0: Yeah, the lights are low, the mood is soft. Yep. Nate cracking this bubbly over there. Put it away, Nate.
1: <laughs> my you mean my Seltzer water? <laughs> You've got seltzer in your water? Oh my goodness. All
0: right.
1: What are we talking about today? This first week. All, hold on, first of all, not to cut you off, thank you everybody for listening to last week's episode. For some strange reason, we had a massive spike in our numbers. Again, I... happy Easter. Happy Easter, everybody. It was a nice Easter egg for us. I mean, yeah, Jason was letting me know throughout the week. He's like, do you know if anything's different? Because our numbers are taking a huge spike this week. And I was just like, no. Well, that's we appreciate it and thank you. So, anyways, we're getting back into the Old Testament.
0: Maybe you guys just recovering from that old spring break lull, coming back with a vengeance. Coming back. Thank you, guys. This week we're talking about Exodus chapters eighteen through twenty, and and before I dive into eighteen, something's been bothering me for a couple weeks now. Oh. When when I talk about Moses having his hands being held up in the air, I believe I said Joshua and Caleb because those were the two of, of the spies and he sends out there and and they were loyal to Moses, but it wasn't Joshua it was and Caleb. Aaron, it was Aaron and her and her her Ben her not Ben her.
1: Oh, I about fell out of my seat. I was going to be so stoked. Charlton Heston, <laughs> yeah, not Charlton Heston. He played Moses. Wait, didn't Charlton Heston also
0: play Ben? Oh, he also played Ben Hur. You are correct.
1: How wild is that? That they that this dude was so typecast that they're like, we just need like awesome, strong, biblical strong characters. biblical guys. You're going to be both. How confusing is that though for people that see him only as Moses and Yul Brenner, rest in peace, as um, Pharaoh? Pharaoh? Because also Yul Brenner in The King and I. Must have been very confusing for a lot of people to be like, wait a minute, why is why is Pharaoh also um, the king in The King and I? What a tangent there! But if you're wait ever not impressed by my random <laughs> pop trivia movie,
0: and you know, I movie keep pop thinking, trivia, I keep thinking I want to go back and watch the Ten Commandments with uh, with old Charlton Heston. I watched
1: it again a few months ago
0: with my kids. But not, but, but, but I have a hard through. time committing to that that long of a show. It's How long so is it? It's so
1: long. I mean, it's like 3 hours or something. It's crazy. I guess I guess it's not as long as I thought if it's only 3. I mean, it's so long. 3 still long. Here's the thing though, my kids, I thought for sure we're going to check out and the fact that they were able to push through with me, I was like,
0: this is awesome. That's impressive. I'm impressed. All right. Well, with that out of the way, <laughs> let's let's take a look at Exodus chapter 18. And, and I like this chapter That's Moses, uh, first off, you have Jethro coming back to Moses, bringing his wife and children with him, which I think is an interesting insight in and of itself. Moses knows he's going to Egypt to do something difficult. He's going to be fairy, uh, squaring off with Pharaoh. It's not going to be very safe. You have all of these plagues that are hitting the land and eventually fleeing for their lives where they're cornered with the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh and all the chariots coming after him. This is war. And he leaves his family safe behind. And, and I think one could look at that and say, is that a lack of faith to leave your family behind, that you don't trust that God is going to deliver you? But well, I, I don't think that's the case at all. Knowing that he's going to be doing something difficult, that he needs his mind focused on, on the mission in front of him, and the people that he's going to save, he's going to put them somewhere where they're safe, where he doesn't have to worry about them. And I think there's something wise about even though you know the Lord's going to take care of you, you're still not taking unnecessary risks. You're still willing to to do your due diligence to make sure things are safe and secure on, on your side of things.
1: You brought up a great point just now, too, and that is just distraction, right? Like, it would be really hard to stay focused on your task at hand if you're Moses, which is the big picture, taking care of everybody, making sure everybody's making this out— if at the same time you're also noticing how stressed out your wife is or how or how maybe uh, your kids might be in a super compromised situation, it would be hard not to go, oh, hey, I need to go and help take care of them instead of, hey, I'm, I'm responsible for everybody here. So I, even then too, if nothing else, just to remove, at least for this period of time, any unnecessary distractions.
0: And that's a great point because right here we're going to see a transition where Moses has been the one who's going to be the father of all the people and everybody has to bring their problems to Moses and wait in line to hear his judgment and what God thinks. And here he is trying to be the father for everybody. And Jethro sees this and he realizes this is going to wear not just you out, but it's going to wear the people out. We, we need to change how this is going to happen, and you see this governance taking a shift where Moses is going to get help and the support that he needs to where he can now turn and give attention, much probably much-needed attention, back to his wife and children that they're returning to him, because he's going to be calling captains of thousands, of hundreds, even down to tens, that these people are going to be authorized and enabled to make decisions and judgments in the simple matters and the small things. And and if they have a problem that they can't handle, it's gonna be brought up the chain and escalated. And and here you really see I, I think here the structure of, of priesthood in a sense, this authorization to represent somebody down to the smallest line to make sure that order is maintained and people are getting heard.
1: Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah, shoot. Um, so you just, you just said kind of the order of the priesthood were, were these lower, um, judges called and ordained or was it more of a secular election style or not, maybe not even election style, but like local, local judge principality, you know what I mean? Like, was this a, was this a religious calling Or do we not have any evidence that it was necessarily religious calling and maybe more of just um, kind of what we see as like our local community, you know, um, governments and things?
0: You know, that's a great question. I'm glad you bring this out because I really am graying the lines by by comparing it to the priesthood and saying this authorization to represent, right? Because that would make a big difference. And and it does. This is more of a secular organization because the priesthood itself is not going to be— because it's not General. Levites,
1: it's not Levites going out there exactly, being being common judges amongst all of these different smaller groups.
0: But at the same time, I almost have to wonder if you don't see the shadow of Melchizedek priesthood in this. And, and the reason why I say that, uh, you're going to get to the point where Moses is going to call seventy elders, and they're going to have the gift of prophecy coming upon them. And I look at them and compare that almost to your quorum of the seventy. Then you're going to get to the point where Moses is going to have one representative from each of the 12 tribes. So you have his two counselors, and you have a first presidency organization, and you're going to have 12, one representing each of the tribes, and then you're going to have these 70. And And so this administrative uh, body of, of judges almost, almost looks like a Melchizedek priesthood order or the starts of one. And and we're going to shift focus with these people to where it's going to be Aaronic priesthood, where Aaron and his priests and the Levites are going to be taking that that priesthood role and running with it, and the Melchizedek priesthood kind of just fades it fades off in the background of the scriptures. We don't hear much about it, and it, and maybe it's maybe it's not priesthood and it's not fair to compare it to the priesthood maybe it's just an administrative system that they've set up and as you've put it very well secular organization in order to maintain the governance of the people but not necessarily linked to the order of god
1: because a lot of the a lot of the issues that people were bringing up with Moses weren't just questions about religion weren't just questions no. about you know I mean you know what I mean doctrinal questions the sense I get from a lot of this is that a lot of the questions being brought up were just dealings with each other just like your day-to-day dealings right
0: yeah and
1: and I guess not that it would wouldn't make sense to necessarily have you know a common judge in Israel but again it's like we don't we don't go to our bishops hopefully for bishops out there for bishop's sake like, we don't go to them if we've decided to like sue somebody and you know what I mean like down the street, like we don't go to them and say, "Will you resolve this for us?" Right? Like, yeah, there that, can be clearly... some overlap,
0: but most of the time, yeah, you're right. There's a big separation, right? You you've got your legal system, which I think your is really healthy. Officers. By the way,
1: I'm just gonna throw that out there. It's probably healthy that there's a separation between those things, too. I agree. Okay, so anyways, continue. yeah, you Sorry don't to...
0: you, you don't have your bishop writing you a speeding ticket. It's yeah, not priesthood yes. in that sense. It's a it's a very secular order, kind of setting up a governance among the people
1: do you think that like you said you, you just mentioned that it was kind of more of like a Melchizedek setup do you think that that's why Jethro specifically was was kind of um, important in in giving this advice or this idea to Moses considering that this is where Moses got the Melchizedek priesthood from
0: yeah I think so and I think what you see here is a very big highlight uh, of the difference between education versus experience okay what do you mean I think Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house, and, and he's educated about governance. He's educated about how, how, how to, to administer law to a group of people because that's, that's, it's Pharaoh. That's what his, He's not afraid to uh, make a decision. Yeah, but he hasn't been in, in Pharaoh's seat. He hasn't ruled a people. He's, he's seen it as a bystander, and he's learned about it. And then when he goes with Jethro, now he's administering to livestock. And and that's very different from administering to a group of people. Uh, Sheep and people I I, I know a lot of times we think they're very similar. (laughs) But maybe they are a lot of times. I don't know. Continue. But but you don't have sheep like punching other sheep and like, hey, he hit me or he you know Yes. They don't speak they don't speak. They're not stealing stuff from each other. And, and you don't have these these disagreements and these problems and the complexity that he's having to deal with. He doesn't have that experience. And, and what he does have experience is, is communicating with God. He's met him in a mountain. He's talked with him in a burning bush. He knows how to get answers. He knows how to respond to Pharaoh and come back with the next thing and, and to have that communication. So he is playing to his strengths by setting himself up as this judge to help the people, because that's what he knows. That's where he has his experience. But where he hasn't administered to a large group of people like this, he, he's, he doesn't have the experience to put good leadership in place and, and understand that he cannot be the bottleneck here.
1: Because at this point, you just have every single person coming straight to him. It's just him for everybody.
0: Yeah, and and not only and I think it's wise that Jethro points this out. Not only is this going to wear him out sitting listening to people's complaints all day long until the sun sets, but he he says this will wear out the people. What are you going to do if you have a pressing issue and you go to talk to someone about it and you have to wait in line? I mean, this is this is like the DMV times a thousand, right? You you might be there not only all day, but then have to wait the next day to go and hear this. And, and it's gonna be frustrating and, and maybe even gives us a little insight to what they're going through when they're complaining about lack of bread or lack of water. So maybe some of their frustration is just they don't have the setup to be able to have their voices heard or to be able to to solve some of these problems. And Jethro seeing this adds adds this administrative advice coming from from I would imagine experience as a leader in, in, among his people so Jethro wasn't Hebrew no he was Midianite so
1: it, it feels like though that he pretty much was ready to be like I'm on the team though at this point
0: right well and and I he gives he gives Moses the Melchistic priesthood so he might even already be on the team but he does he does get a different I don't know appreciation when he comes through and he rejoices in everything that Moses is telling him about how God prospered. I I find it key what he says to Moses when when he says that God is greater than all of their gods. In fact, let me just uh, let me let me just find this verse because I think it's very powerful okay. what he says. Verse twelve, verse eleven. And, and this is maybe kind of where you're coming with, uh, maybe he's not necessarily on board, but he jumps on board with the Israelites when he says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in this thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. And, and it's a profound statement because he says, wherein they dealt, he's talking about the Egyptians, proudly, he was above them. You look at the plagues. When God is causing darkness to come over there, it's a slap in the face of, of Ra. As we said this with going into the place... When he covers the sun, because Ra was
1: the sun god. Ra was the sun god. What did I say? You did. I'm just making sure that I'm just making... Uh, for, for us simpletons, <laughs> just reminding everybody. <laughs> when, Ra when, is the sun god, and so when when Moses covered up the sun...
0: Yeah, he's saying, I am more powerful than Ra, the sun god. So we, we said this was going to be a showdown, a battle of the gods. You know, you had your son of Ra versus your son of the unnamed god. But he's going to systematically destroy each and every one of the Egyptian gods at their own game. You have a water god? Here, we're going to turn this water into blood. We're going to part the sea. And oh, by the way, we're going to drown you all. Oh my
1: gosh, that's right.
0: And, and you have your, your earth gods, right? Your sky gods. We're going to spend in the locusts. the locus. snake one? And your serpent, when you have Seth that, that controls the serpent at the end of the evening. And Moses takes it, creates the serpent that swallows all of theirs, and then takes it by the hand and controls it and saying, I, I am defeating, I am better, I am better than your version of Seth. So here you have God taking on each one of the Egyptian gods in their own arena and and defeating each one of them, saying, I don't need a whole pantheon. I am. I am who I am. I am above them all. I am the great God. And Jethro's
1: just like, all right, I'm in. Now I know. He's like, okay, that's that's all I need to know.
0: This God is greater than all their gods. All right, let's go to chapter 19. Here the Lord's going to be speaking to Moses again. And and like you say, you know, one of the first things he does is reminds him about what he does, and and how he reminds him is kind of interesting. In verse four, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Any any significance there about eagles' wings, uh, Nate? You want to add?
1: I, no, I have. No, if do you have something about eagles' wings? <laughs>
0: I was just. I was, I was just waiting for you to drop some sound bites. Well, there is actually. I actually did
1: work on a tune um, that was a a friend of mine, Ryan, co-wrote with another friend of mine, Spencer's, called "On Eagles' Wings." That I may actually be able to find and splice in here. And
0: I, I was just. I was. I was like almost. Almost half. Not cringing, but what's the word? Wincing? Hesitating? Yeah, Like, I knew something was coming. I didn't know if it was going to be a Lord of the Rings reference. or, oh, or uh, no.
1: no, the Lord <laughs> of the Rings reference is why didn't the eagles just fly Frodo to the mountain in the first place? Like, why did he have to walk all across the stuff only to get flown there at the end? Like, why on earth didn't Gandalf just go... Hey, man, I'm going to have an eagle just take you to this thing. You can just skip all of this other madness and just throw this
0: ring away. Because look at Exodus. I mean, if we're basing this off of biblical, God doesn't fly him on eagle's wings down into Egypt. He, he has them walk down into Egypt. That's go true. through 400 years of hell. There you go. And then sends the eagles to pull him out. All right,
1: there you go. There you go.
0: Okay, sorry.
1: There may, be, there may have been a little clip in here. I'm just going to warn you right now, Jason. Oh, dear. You set me up for it. You know I'm throwing it in.
0: (laughs) All right. So God speaks to them about wanting to prepare the people, and I think it's important. Uh, I I like how he says this in verse 6, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And when he prepares them, he tells themselves, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Verse 10, and the Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come unto the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And, and I like the physical preparation that is going towards the spiritual preparation. I think there's something to that. When they're preparing to see the Lord, it's not just make sure that you're holy on the inside. It's also take the time to be holy in general. Make sure you make your clothes clean. Take the time. Take two days to prepare yourself so that you aren't worried about the, the distractions. I, I don't know if if you ever done this where where you're in a hurry in the morning and you run out and and you you, you don't brush your teeth and then you're embarrassed and and you don't want to talk and have anyone smell your breath and then you're not prepared because you're worried about how and, and maybe just like every day for me dog <laughs> that's, maybe that's just a bad road to run down oh trust me it is <laughs>
1: I can tell you, I can confirm that's a bad road to run down.
0: <laughs> but then but then you feel bad because maybe maybe you weren't opening your mouth and talking to somebody in a way that you could have been there to help somebody or make a difference or do something, and you came off as, 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 as different simply because you weren't prepared to begin with. I, I don't know. Maybe that's a terrible example, but the importance of making sure you're all prepared to go in all aspects of the Word. And in here he gives them some interesting instruction. When when he says in verse fifteen, so verse fourteen, Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. Thank goodness they washed their clothes. Verse 15, and he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, come not at your wives. And you're like, wait a second. Okay, be ready for the third day. And and here when it says, Come not to your wives. In Hebrew, you'll, so this is something we talked about at the very beginning when we introduced the Old Testament. You'll notice that the word your here is italicized. And, and see if anyone remembers what that means. If it, it's italicized, the word isn't in the Hebrew. It's added by the translators to try to make sense of it. So in here, if you, if you look at the Hebrew, it says, come not at women. And so when they're talking about women, isha, Isha's, Isha's, man, Isha's woman, and if they're saying Isha, sometimes woman is also used as wife. Your woman is your wife, so it can be translated as woman. It can be translated as wife. So for translating as wife, then it makes sense to add that your wife in. So it's a translator's interpretation of what's being said. But what Moses is really saying is, don't lie with women. And so if you were to be told hey, God's coming, I don't want you lying with women. Is Moses saying don't commit sexual sin by lying with women that you shouldn't be lying with? Or is he saying don't lie with any woman, period, including your wife? And, and it's kind of it's up for translation. Do we have any evidence in, like, culturally what this meant?
1: Like, did the Hebrew people back in these times and up until Christ's time was was there a practice that would give us any information on what they thought it meant?
0: You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that there is. Okay. But I would say I I can see it as being don't go and lie into your wife in the same sense as when you tell somebody to fast if you're preparing for something. It's like Moses is telling the people to fast. And, and instead of an appetite of food, you're talking about a different physical appetite. And in, in either sense, you're trying to say, lay aside your physical appetites for 24 hours so that your physical self isn't so much in charge, but you're trying to sharpen your spiritual self. Maybe give yourself that spiritual edge because the Lord is coming. You're not going to be able to see him. But you're going to see that he is speaking with Moses. And if you want that witness, that testimony, and you want this experience and you want to be ready for that experience, sharpen your spiritual self just as much as you're sharpening that physical self. Just as you're washing your clothes, maybe this is God's way of saying, wash yourselves on the inside. Not saying that lying with your wife is a sin, but just maybe... Like eating's not a sin. Just like eating's not a sin. It's important, but maybe lie your appetites to the side... Just to try to give you that edge for this experience yeah, that's just coming. Always
1: make sure that you are in control and and discipline. And I get it.
0: And the Lord is so, so. This is very interesting because as the Lord is setting this up and getting them ready, He also establishes boundaries, and He says, "I need you to put put this this line that the people can't cross," and and when they put this barrier and say, you can't go past this point, he says, if anyone even reaches so much as a hand past that point to touch the rock, kill them. Which is kind of an interesting thing for God to be saying, like, I don't want you coming into my presence. If you do, they, they, they need to
1: die. Especially one, we're about ready to get a commandment that thou shalt not kill. Yes. Also we're also commanded to come into God's presence.
0: <laughs> yeah, so why is God saying don't come unto my presence? And and that's the thing because because later we're going to be very critical of Israel because in the very next bit after after they hear this voice and they see the thunder and the lightning yep. and they and they see how impressive God is, right. they say, "You know what? Not no. Well, not Moses us.
1: comes down and says, "Okay, now the Lord's ready for all of us to to go into His presence." They're like, "Yeah, hey, you can do that for us, Moses."
0: Yeah, we we would rather stay
1: out of the presence yes. of God. So it is kind of funny. So so why the why the change up here? Just is it a lack of preparedness? Is it is it just again
0: discipline? What is it? And and I think right place, right time, maybe. And, and, and it's interesting, maybe you, you're talking to a large crowd of people, and maybe within the crowd you have some people that don't have respect for the sacred. It's not like everyone's going to be pushing through to climb into the presence of God. Sure. When you're talking to a large crowd, you might have to be addressing certain things that most people wouldn't do, but other people might have the propensity to. And you talk about the sacred, like when they build the temple, the high priest is allowed to go in the Holy of Holies, on the Day of Atonement, and that's it. The, the priests that go into the holy place and and offer the incense and are involved inside the temple still aren't allowed to pass that next barrier and go into the Holy of Holies where God Himself is supposed to be residing. And, and then again, you have some other separations where the people can't just go into the temple, and the Gentiles can't even come into certain courts. So you've got these demarcations and these separations. We're going to talk about this in a little bit more detail as we get into the temple a little bit later this year. But God is saying there are boundaries. Uh, Go back. This isn't new. Go back to the Garden of Eden, and what does God do to protect the tree of life, which is, in essence, an image of of Christ or God himself, access to this guy who's going to grant life? Well, he sets a... Cherubim
1: and the flaming sword, baby. Cherubim and the flaming lest sword. They, lest they come close, might as well just chop off those hands or just kill them.
0: And that's the thing. I, and I think that is, that is what's happening here. What happens if you reach your hand out to the tree of life and try to pluck it?
1: it at a time you're not supposed to. Or at a
0: time you're not supposed to. Cherubim's job is to slay you on the mark. So go back to what we've been learning this entire year. If you're trying to take a a shortcut to get back into the presence of God by rushing him, by going into his presence by any other way than the path which he has outlined for how you should approach him, it doesn't lead to life. Instead, it leads to death. There it is. Let's keep going. Okay. trying to think if there's anything else in that preparation there that, that either of us wanted to cover.
1: I can't wait to talk about the Ten Commandments. I want to get into the, about the Ten I want to get into the meat and potatoes, baby. I'm ready.
0: Let's go to the Ten Commandments then. And and it I think it is worth noting here at the end of chapter 19, there's a disconnect. Verse 25, um, so of twenty-four even, let's back up. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron, with thee, but let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So again, this worry that the people are going to be trying to push their way where they shouldn't, when in the very next chapter we're going to see that it's the opposite, where they're saying, no, 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 we don't want to, you do this. But he tells him to go down in verse 25, so Moses went down unto the people to speak unto them. So if Moses is coming down out of the mountain to speak unto him, then why in verse or chapter 20, verse 1, and God spake all these words, saying I am the Lord thy yeah, God. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. We talked about this earlier. This, this has to be one of those situations where, where we're, we're being presented three chapters that aren't necessarily in chronological order. Yes. Because also it would make more sense, by the way, too, I think that we kind of were chatting about if, if Moses now has like an extremely long wait list of people wanting to talk to him and ask him questions about the law and various things— it also would kind of make more sense if this was after the Ten Commandments had been given and shown the people, because now I'm sure everybody has questions and would like details on thou shalt not kill. Cool, so we don't get to eat anymore? Or does the only thing we get to eat now come from, you know, miraculously in the morning as oatmeal on the ground, you know, or whatever? You know, it's like, I'm just, it's like it would make more sense that after the law was given that there, there would be now this huge rush of people needing to ask details of some of these things.
0: Yeah, and you see these chapters where God gives the commandments. Not only does he reveal the commandments in, in chapter 21, which we're not going to cover today, he, he gives more specific laws and he's going to get to the part where he's going to start talking about priests and take Aaron and his sons and 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 put them by the tabernacle and anoint them and do all of these different things to make them priests. If that hasn't been revealed yet, then how do you explain verse twenty four when he says, "Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee, yes. and and these priests." Yeah. But let not the excuse me Aaron with thee, but let not the priests and the people break through. So if you don't even have priests yet. How are you saying, have the priest stay there and have Aaron come here and have, you know? So yeah. it seems like there's a little bit of a disconnect. And this this Ten Commandments, the section of commandments, is kind of this, this interesting section of, of law that kind of floats independent of the story. Okay. Let's get into it. So God spake all these words saying, I am the Lord thy God. Which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out um, of the house of bondage, thou shalt have no other gods before me. This first commandment to me is one of the most interesting commandments in the whole set. Okay. He says, Thou shalt have no other gods. If he would have stopped there, point, done. Thou shalt have no other gods, that would that would make sense. I am God, there's no other God but me. But he doesn't. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. How is that different? Hmm. It's okay for you to have gods, but they can't be greater than me. It's kind of interesting. It is interesting.
1: I mean, a lot of people will use this as a make sure that a lot of the other things that you spend time on and, and put energy into and maybe not worship, but you know what I mean? Like even just things day-to-day lives and things like that, just make sure none of them, you know, uh, take priority over your religious duties.
0: Yeah. It almost seems like God is saying, I'm not the only God it don't have any other gods before me. And and he goes to clarify, I mean, let's take this and stride with the next ones. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the water beneath or in the water under the earth. Which is kind of interesting that they're not just saying under the earth, but the water that is under the earth. Anyhow, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor service, serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father upon the children, on the third and the fourth generation, those that hate me, showing mercy. um, and, And this idea that even if you have these other gods, you can't pray to them, you can't worship them, you can't serve them. So it's not to say that there's no such thing as any other God. But as far as other gods go, I am the only God that you can pray to I am the only God that you can worship. I am the only God that you can serve. Mm. And I think taking these 10 commandments in stride with Psalms section 82, when God says, I say unto you, you are gods. Mm. And this idea that, that we become like God, that's his whole purpose, right? To try to bring us to him, to his presence, to his standing, his stature, to make us like him. But we don't take anyone else and and worship them and pray to them. Even Moses, as great as he is and as they're coming to him, you can't set him up to be a God before you. Maybe he is like a God. Maybe he can be like a God to the people, but he's not a God that you can pray to or, or serve in the same way that you would me. So I, I think that's kind of interesting on the phrasing. Okay, He has the first four commandments here that are clearly talking about God and we've heard this breakdown and and I think you have some really good insight on this Nate when we're talking about the first commandments deal with thou shalt love God and then the next commandments deal with thou shalt love thy neighbor and, and as we're talking about these two tablets of stone that they're written on do you want to do you want to kind of go into what you were saying Nate
1: Oh yeah I was I was just kind of breaking it down into the um, you know, when when we prepare for these things, I, I try to help as much as I possibly can so that I'm not just putting all of this on you. Um, and it's for me too, because I just love like researching a lot of this. But in, in the Old Testament specifically, I try to, you know, definitely spend, you know, a few hours really digging through a lot of uh, Jewish commentary and like Hebrew commentary of the Old Testament or, you know what I mean? Just trying to see what perspectives... Um, there are on a lot of these things from, uh, you know, a group and religion that has been diving into these for millennia. You know what I mean? Not, not just us who have been doing it for, you know, even a few hundred years, right? Um, and and a, a lot of um, the commentary kind of res- revolved around that, what you just said, which is, you know, if you have two tablets you would probably then have five commandments on each right yeah and like you said the first four deal with the relationship of man to god and then and then 6 through 10 are man to man right man's relationship to you know man and how 5 which is honor thy father and thy mother is kind of the bridge between those two right it's it's the last it's the it's the last commandment on the side of man's relationship to god and there's something kind of profound about that right that that would be that would be the gap but or that would be the bridge not the gap but the bridge between god and man and man and man is honor your father and your mother and that if you look at basically if you put the two tablets side by side that there is really some beautiful parallels even between even between the um, the commandments of, of man's relationship to God and man's relationship to man, like take for instance, you know the first commandment: there there shouldn't be any other gods before me. I'm the only one you worship, whatever. And I, on the opposite side of that, I believe six is thou shalt not kill. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you look at that, you know what 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 does man taking life from another man in in theory or and in practice? do right it's like oh is this man taking upon himself what my role as god is like oh you now have the right to to give and take life right and no is the answer right and then the idea of um um whatever it's i mean it, it basically a lot of them you know don't don't um you know, don't bear false witness. Like ties into whatever. So, anyways, I, as I was reading through that, and again, it's something that would maybe be worth doing. By the way, too, just for the listeners out there, because
0: comparing the, the first five with the second, yeah, and
1: there's a, there's a lot of beautiful things, and and even down to like the fifth commandment and the tenth commandment is like, "Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife," and the idea of honor thy father and thy mother is like, what does what does the product of, you know what I mean? Um, um, an adulterous relationship lead to it's like oh in some cases maybe not even the knowledge of your father you know you know but both your parents in there and how that even relates to the idea of then not being able to honor your father and your mother so anyways there's basically there's just a lot of really um interesting kind of commentary from like the like jewish commentary but anyways i, I just found it i found it actually pretty profound and again even the even the 5th commandment honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land i've always kind of wondered what that what that meant until i became a parent you know what i mean can i tell you why yes please do because there are so many times that i have these kids running out into the street trying to get themselves <laughs> killed and i'm like hey stop and they just go, nah, nah, and they just keep going, right? <laughs> and I think to myself, oh, maybe there's something to that commandment, right? That, that thy days may be long upon the land. That's, that's kind of an interesting promise given on the back of that, right? If you will listen to and respect your parents, there is a certain level of safety that you're promised as part of that covenant, Right? as part of that promise that your days may be long upon the land. I don't know. I think that there's something there. And it, and it might not just be my kids trying to get ran over by cars and me yelling at them to stop. But it is funny because all the time I tell them, I'm like, hey, look, when I yell stop, you need to stop, even if it doesn't make sense, because I can see something that you can't. I can foresee a problem that you might, it might not see in the moment, right? And then I look back at all of the amazing advice my parents have given me over the years, and I can tell you without a doubt, it has saved me from a lot of physical danger and a lot of spiritual danger. So take that for what it's worth.
0: And, and what you're saying is very profound to me. Uh, there's something about this fifth commandment, because out of all ten, it is the only commandment with promise. The, the only one that promises anything in return. It doesn't say, thou shalt not kill, that thou mayest not be killed. <laughs> not be killed. <laughs> <laughs> which, which you can almost infer, right? You live by sure. the sword, die by the sword. But it doesn't say that. So there's something special about this. And when you talk about trying to split these commandments in half, and does this one, is it talking about honor your father and your mother? Is that talking about divine parents? Is that going on See, with God? I think God?
1: it does. I think it does like I think that's that's why that's such an amazing commandment as the bridge
0: right it is because because so many times the Word of God has dual meanings this this dual to be able to have something in the middle that can look both directions that can fit with mankind and be this this transitionary commandment that's going to bring you into oh by the way also your parents honor them on earth. But honor me as your parent, because I am the one who has created you either through Adam and Eve in the original creation, or through the covenant, who's given you birth, that you can live even after death, who has given you this opportunity. I will be the parents of this of this covenant of this of this resurrection. It's awesome. and And as much as parents, I would like to say, I can extend the life of my kids if they're obedient, or take them and make them short if they're not. I mean, to a sense, you're right. If, if you honor your parents, chances are you're going to do better. But ultimately, isn't it God who whose days to, to whom our days are numbered, who knows how long those days are? And and does that not is this not a subtle way of God saying, I am your father, you have divine parents. And if so, this commandment right here might actually be the only scriptural, the only Old Testament reference to not just a heavenly father, but also heavenly parentage, this this heavenly mother as well. Yep. I,
1: I think it's important, I think it is important, though, to also, though, take the Lord at his, at his word here, too, though, that if... If you want to live long, a good thing to do would probably be to honor your parents. And, 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 and again, like you can look at that from a practical way, or you can look at it from, like we talk about all the time, where sometimes wisdom to man doesn't look the same as wisdom to God, right? But if God says, do this, you do it.
0: Well, let me even, let me even take this to Isaiah 53 and what I think it means to live long. So sorry as I'm turning my flipping my pages here at the speed of light. That's great. So, Isaiah 53, when we're talking about Christ suffering on the cross, and and these, I'm going to come back to this over and over again this year. Um, When it says, verse 8, for he was taken from prison and judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. Right? And so they say, who's going to declare his seed, his generation, his posterity? Because he was cut off without having any children. He, he was crucified. But when we talk about um, verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. Hmm. And when you're talking about prolonging his days, I look at that as resurrection. Because, yeah, you, you know, everyone is going to die, but when he takes you from the time your time runs out and then prolongs your days, it's rising you from the dead. Honor your father and your mother that your days might be long, that your days might be prolonged, that you might be raised from the dead and and made eternal.
1: It's awesome. I love it.
0: Okay. I'm trying to think. Anything else on the commandments you want to hit?
1: I do. Let's hear it. Um, I I kind of brought this up to you before, and it's something that I at least would just kind of love to get some of your thoughts on. Oh, dear. Um, I... uh, a lot of the jewish commentary referred to this as a new covenant for oh, the, for yes. the for the house of israel that's kind of an interesting word right a new covenant mm-hmm. and and we you know in our you know lds faith we've heard that term before because we talk about a new and everlasting covenant all the time in in relation to the restoration right but it's interesting because this is like if you look at it um, historically up till this point, what is the old covenant, right? And it's and it's interesting because a lot of the Jewish commentary w- referred back to um, the covenant with Abraham, but that's not the same as this, right? In this covenant, these Ten Commandments, there we start seeing the if you do this you know, like you then get this, right? Where when we've talked about the covenant with God and Abraham, it was more of a, because you've been faithful, I'm just, here's a promise that I'm giving you, right? And I'm going to give it to you in form of a covenant, right? Like I'm going to pass through the meat, I'm going to do the whole thing, but but it's more of a promise. And then it made me think, okay, well, if it wasn't that, then what covenant would it, what would that first covenant be And I personally think that it's the covenant that God made with Adam and Eve, because there you really do see the beginnings of, if you do this, I will in return do this, right? And then it's interesting, because then when you start looking at what all of the new covenants, and even when Christ came, he didn't come to destroy the law, but he came to refine it. He came to... By the way, simplify it and make it more based on faith and less on a rigid, easy way out, which is I can, I will tell you exactly what you have to do, how many steps you have to take, exactly how to prepare your meals, exactly how to do this, exactly how to do this. I'm going to get rid of some of those things and make a new covenant with you that's actually going to put more emphasis on your responsibility and more the the faith and the and the spirit of the law and less on the letter of the law and then when you look at our new and everlasting covenant but what does what does our new and everlasting covenant teach us or cycle back to specifically when we go to the temple what are we learning about? The it, Satan. It's Adam and Eve. Yes. It's the covenant God made with Adam and Eve. And so again I think that I think that when you when you when you look at this new covenant that even Moses was being given, right, from the Lord, the, the old covenant in this case would have been, in my opinion, Adam and Eve and not necessarily Abraham because that's just a different type of a promise, right? It's not, it's not a covenant in the way that we understand a covenant. But then when you look at the covenants we make, we're being taught what those new covenants are full circle, going back to what Adam and Eve were being taught.
0: I love so much what you said there, I think there's a lot to unpack on that. I mean, not to glance over this, but you're right. When God establishes the Abrahamic covenant, he is not putting all of the conditions on Abraham and making him go through those cut pieces He is putting the conditions on himself, saying, I will establish you. I will take this responsibility. So I think you're right. I don't know that this necessarily harkens to the Abrahamic covenant where God is saying, I am going to be responsible, and this is my requirement, this is my duty. I love the comparison of this new covenant. Not that it's new, but it's reestablishing that first covenant that God made with Adam, this idea that, hey, Adam— You've messed up. I'm pulling you out of your situation, just like Israel's being pulled out of bondage with with Egypt. I am going to give you laws that you have to live by, just as God said, by the sweat of your brow, and, and i commanding you the law of sacrifice, the law of obedience. And, and with these Ten Commandments, how does it end? It ends with an altar. It ends with sacrifice. And as we read here, when he talks about this, um, it, it, it says, Thou shalt make, um, let's see, verse 24, an, an altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and thou shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, unto thy peace offerings, thy sheep, and thine oxen, and in all the places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. This idea that these commandments and this instruction is being wrapped up at the altar, and commanding them to make sacrifice harks back to Adam and Eve who were commanded to make sacrifice even though they didn't understand what it meant at the time i love what you're saying and i love your connection to the new and everlasting covenant not that it's new but that everlasting right it's the very first covenant that adam and eve made and we're made partakers of it as well as we covenant at the, the same altar things. by
1: the way too at the altar I, I love what you said there, Nate. Thanks. I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to trying to occasionally come up with something where I'm piecing together things and trying to throw you something to build off of. So well, hopefully, this, hopefully it, you can kinda hopefully it, hopefully you're feeling it.
0: In this week's episode, man, you've you've been uh carrying the weight. Oh. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Um, so, you did bring up something when we were chatting before about the altar that, again, is just a quick little nugget I think you should throw in. It's interesting about the yeah. stones, though, that built the altar. Maybe let's just throw that in, and then anything else you need to throw in, and then let's wrap it up.
0: Sounds fantastic. So, when they're talking about... And it is kind of interesting that he gives these commandments to them, because as part of this... Um, let, let's talk about the altar, and then and then maybe I'll hit... One last thing, real quick. Perfect. When I talk about the altar, it does say. Um, I'm trying to scroll through this and make sure I find where it says it. And thou shalt, and this is verse twenty-five. And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone, for if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. So this this uh, this idea that the altar itself has to be made with unhewn stones. Unhewn meaning you can't cut it. You can't have any kind of man-made tool to shape it. It has to be a stone that is exactly how it was in nature. The idea that God made it, and he made it, he made it perfect. And when man comes with a tool to try to improve on what God did, in actuality, you're polluting it. You're you're adding your touch, your flavor, and you're, you're ruining it. It's not, I, I don't know, it kind of reminds me of that saying, the the philosophy of man mingled with scripture.
1: Yep. It's funny, when you were literally just saying that, I was like, "But that's where my brain immediately went, was when man tries to add its flair to something that's already correct.
0: Yeah. And so it's kind of interesting that God has his altar be what it's going to be. And even when you look at the ultimate sacrifice that's coming onto the altar, Christ himself is not a son of man. He is a son of God. He is, he is a perfect offering. And then they talk about, neither shalt thou go up by the steps unto mine altar that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. And that's something we've talked about a few times, this idea of nakedness, when Adam and Eve were found naked in the garden. And it's interesting, thou shalt not go up by steps. So what are steps if they're not, again, you're hewing and carving and making these out. So in one, your your imperfection is being imposed on this. We don't want to see that. And, And two, I think... For this reason, they're actually building a ramp, and I wonder if the nakedness isn't... When you have stairs coming up to the altar, and you've got priests that are going to be carrying an animal, and you think about the weight and walking up these stairs, how easy could it be for them to trip on a step? That your nakedness be not discovered, your your mistakes, your your fault, your falling, your embarrassment... And, and so I like the way they use that nakedness there to kind of tie that back to that story of Adam and even help us understand what that meant when they were found naked, their their imperfections, embarrassment, or or whatnot. It's awesome. So, so make it a ramp, make it easy. Um, I, I guess the last thing I wanted to hit here at the end of uh, Exodus 20 is when the people are terrified. Uh, verse 18, And all the people saw the thundering and the lightning and the noise of the trumpets and the mountains smoking, And when the people saw it, they moved, excuse me, they removed and stood afar off.
1: (laughs) They're like, oh, I guess they were serious with that boundary thing.
0: Yeah, let's not not touch that boundary.
1: Maybe I will die. Just to make sure, let's just take a few steps back.
0: And they said unto Moses, speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us. There you go. Lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, fear not for God has come to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not. So here's what I wanted to kind of finish up on and talk about. When Moses says, fear not, but then in the same sentence here, he says that his fear may be upon you. So which is it? Come unto me, don't come unto me. Fear me, don't fear me. And yet he's commanding it both at the same time. It's kind of an enigma. And, and that word fear, I, I find so interesting because in English it's the same. When you talk about what, what is the difference between terrible and terrific? And, and they both have the same root. Terror. Terror. Terrible means full of terror. Terrific means full of terror. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, we use them very differently.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: What about awesome and awful?
1: Yeah. It's awe.
0: Full of awe in both cases. And and this idea that we feel this way, fear is such a healthy feeling because it keeps us alive. And we fear things that can end us. In this case, God. This idea that we don't we don't want to die when we hear his voice, but yet he's also the same source of life. Yes, if you touch that rock, I'll kill you where you stand. <laughs> but I also want you to come near to me. What? Come come to me, but come to me with a healthy respect, full of awe, full of terror—not in the same terror that that's terrible. But terrific. I I I don't know. It's and, and, and it and I find it unique that in English it's the same kind of problem that you see in this this Hebrew, this fear. Fearsome, but, but also in a healthy sort of way. Is it true that
1: there is kind of that like uh, fear can be translated as like respect or love? like what what is the I you yeah, I've, just I've as heard much that, in
0: English as it is in Hebrew I've heard the that same kind thing. of floated
1: around a little bit because in theory it's like if you could read that scripture like don't be afraid of God and let his love go before you let his respect go before you you know what I mean like let his respect and love be on you it's like if in theory if it's just if it's just a matter of translation that whole that whole verse makes complete sense
0: yeah respect
1: God and his love will be with you you know I don't
0: know. And don't. that and and that same kind of healthy respect, knowing that it, it could go either way. Yeah. But I'm just saying, it's like
1: if the, if that is true, that there is that again, like I, I, you know, sometimes you hear things floated around enough that you just accept it. I don't know that that is a thing or not, and I'm I've tried to be better about just always assuming that it probably is just a cultural thing. But if if that is a thing, then I actually think that that verse is beautiful,
0: right? It and I think. I, I think this is critical. Okay. Being able to find awe and a sense of wonder in the world around us that, that makes us attuned to our own smallness. When, when you're going into nature and you see a powerful waterfall and, and it inspires you and you know that the forces there are much greater than you, when you look up at the stars and, and you see the expanse and, and, and all you can see is just stars within our galaxy and you know that there's other galaxies and the greatness and the wonder and how awesome, inspiring the sense of wonder is. It tunes you into your own sense of of smallness and that yet God still cares about you. And, and, and as you have those moments, I think it helps keep us humble and it, kel- it helps develop a healthy amount of love, and respect and and maybe helps us maybe desire to to be a pe- a part of that, a piece of that, to to understand it a little bit more and to, and to want to be plugged into that.
1: Can I take it one step farther? Please do. I think that when you look into the universe, it's easy to feel small until you remember that god created that for you like not just not just for you to be a piece of but for you i think it's i think it's a lot deeper than for me at least than a healthy respect for god's power but in those in in the awe inspiring universe to be able to then go Not only am I just a piece of this, but I'm the most important piece of this to this all-powerful God. Amazing. What are we talking about next week?
0: Next week! I think we're talking about Genesis 21, but I've been wrong before.
1: But you have been wrong before, but I think it's a fair assumption this week that we're not getting thrown in any... um, Special episode, so I think we're, we're, we're in Genesis, uh or <laughs> Genesis. Exodus 21. Did I say Genesis too? I don't know, we might have both said Genesis. Exodus, we're going to be Exodus, Exodus next and, week. And it
0: might be a continuation of God's laws, Uh but uh, some of these laws uh, get so uh, detailed, uh, nitty-gritty. I don't know if it's going to take us down there, if we're going to skip ahead to the temple building, because the temple building is at the end of Exodus, and we also get the story of the golden calf. I know that's all coming up, so something Perfect. to look forward to great work this week Jason
1: um, I, um, I love doing this podcast with you please everybody if you have any questions or comments please send them in um, and we love to read them and we'll try to do our best to answer them and until next week see ya